Sky. We'll be streaming live soon. Good morning. Oh, what a beautiful background, and uh, uh, <clears throat> the water must be real cold, and this must be in the mountains of uh, of Canada, and we're sort of uh, happy to be with you this morning. I've been talking with you about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of our Lord. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus Christ. And so, in Luke chapter 4, we I made a statement on Luke chapter 4 yesterday. It says, in Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 14, Jesus returned from the temptations in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to make it clear to you that Jesus did nothing but fulfill the voice of God, led of the Holy Spirit in His ministry. That needs to be said. Because a lot of people understand Jesus, but... Uh, uh, but separate the Holy Spirit from the ability to communicate with Jesus because they think the Holy Spirit is Pentecostal. And so I need to share with you none of the latter. The Holy Spirit of God is what motivated, empowered, renewed, encouraged our Lord to complete His work on the cross and finally ascended into heaven. And so... Now, Matthew, Matthew 3, there is a, a, a statement on Matthew 3, chapter, verse 16. Let me find it. Matthew 3, uh, chapter, chapter 3, verse 16. And this is occurred when Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized by him as thousands were doing that, coming from Jerusalem, coming from Judea, Samaria, all those areas, they came into the River Jordan, which in those days the site was in, today is the site is in the country of Jordan, to be baptized by him for the remission of sins. But John forbade him, saying, I have no need to be baptized of you, and come you to me. For thus is, and so Jesus responded and said, Suffer it not, permitted me to be baptized, for thus is becomes to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered not, or he allowed, he allowed John the Baptist allowed to baptize our Lord. Now, and when Jesus, when he was baptized, he went out immediately out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and, and he saw the Spirit of God. John is saying, Matthew is saying that John, the Apostle John, saw the Spirit of God descending and aligning upon him. So in the person of Jesus, God made a point to allow him to go through the baptism of water, and then took him out of the water, 
in the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove. Aligning, meaning aligning, only unto Jesus. <clears throat> now the problem here is simply this. Why the aligning? The aligning was that Jesus, our Lord, was baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit in a measure that none, none have ever been baptized uh, uh, by, by the Holy Spirit. And so it was a personal empowerment of our Lord before He begins His ministry. No, no Christian, no pastor, no pastor should ever be ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible that you begin to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, a low voice from heaven said, This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. The Father speaks, the Spirit descends, and the Son is praying. This is more in detail in Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 31. Now, in order to recognize then the ministry of Jesus, I'm using the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is, a, is an interesting book because it does, Matthew has a way of teaching that separates things. For instance, in chapter 1 of Matthew, chapter 2 of Matthew, chapter 3 of Matthew, chapter 4 of Matthew. He is explaining the movement of the, of, of, of the, of the Lord coming from the Galileans into, into the Jordan River to be baptized by John. He talks about the, the return from Egypt. The, and so there is an order of events, especially especially in relation to baby Jesus and the genealogy and so forth. But it comes to chapter 5. If you look very carefully, chapter 5 stops. So the teaching of chapter 5, 6, and 7 takes a form of explaining important things. And there's no miracles involved in this. So, uh, <clears throat> chapter chapter five, six, and seven. So let me let me go in here and look up. Got up this morning in a hurry to get here. Uh, chapter five. He begins with the Sermon of the Mountain. He begins with the the salt of the the the, the, the earth. Jesus, be, be a salt of the earth, and then he moves into understanding the law and Jesus and anger and restitution and prayer. Christian. Re- relationships, adultery, divorce, and remarriage, retaliation. And and it goes on to chapter 7. At the end of chapter 7, he begins to do the mighty teachings. One of the three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, that are overwhelmingly considered to be one of the greatest chapters of teaching in our Lord, of our Lord. He begins, he begins with, uh, with, the, with the Beatitudes on chapter, chapter 5. 5, 6, and 7 are completely separated from miracles, separated from any commentary but basic teaching. Well, let's take a look at this. Because I need to show you something before I go in and take part of that. 
If you go in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, this is the second tour of the Galilee's. And he says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manners of sickness and all manners of disease among the people. And his fame went through all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people who were late, were taken into diverse diseases and torments, and those who were possessed with devils, and those who were lunatics, and those who had palsy, and he healed them. And they followed him with him great multitudes of people in Galilee, from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Now, when you study these 23, 24, and 25 verses of chapter 4, it's, it's very busy. The Lord is just overwhelmingly taken by the multitudes. Thousands of people are, were being healed. But in the beginning of the chapter 5, when he begins to talk about the Beatitudes, there's a, there's a change in here that I want to call your attention. In seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, meaning he left the multitudes. And then it says, And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, meaning that he left the multitudes, and he separated himself to be with the disciples on this mountain, Mount Tabor. It might be close to the lake. It's one of the tallest mountains around the lake. On the north of it uh, is... is uh, Mount Hermon, I'd say Tabor will be the one that I choose to be a time for the disciples to be with Jesus. None of the multitudes came, but it was just Jesus alone. It's on verse, uh, in seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, So I want to separate then the next chapter 5, 6, and 7, as a conversation with the disciples. Private. It's, what do you mean by that? Because what Jesus is about to do in chapter 5, 6, and 7 is to teach on the basics of the kingdom of God. Teach on the basics. What is a, a Christian should know? What is a man of God, a woman of God should know? Things that you should not do. Things that you should do. Uh, uh, divorce and remarriage. Things like that. Uh, adultery. And especially retaliation. How to deal with retaliation. Teachings on giving. Money. Money wise. Teachings on prayer. Uh, the model prayer, which is the Lord's prayer. He taught them in this mountain before uh, to the disciples. Now, I thought that really this type of teaching should be to the multitudes. But it will be like throwing pearls into swines because the multitudes really were looking for healing. And he is establishing the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to you and I this morning? Is that some of you can understand what I'm saying, what I'm going to do, but some of you are here to get a healing. And your mind is not connected to what I'm doing. And so our audience is primarily of people who are looking for meat, not milk. 
is very important that we separate the two. Very important that you understand what he's saying. So let's let's. Um, so I just proved to you that when Jesus, when Jesus in the beginning of chapter five, he he took the disciples with him to a mountain, and there he comes. The first thing that Jesus does, he said he opened his mouth and taught them. So it's saying that. He wasn't talking to the multitude. He's talking to them, the disciples, and ministering to them now. Now, why this is important is because as you look to the Beatitudes, then you have to look from a different perspective. You don't look to the Beatitudes as he is ministering to the crowd. <coughs> He's personally ministering to the disciples that which will form them, impact them, prepare them. So here are some questions to you. First question. Should that be preached unto the congregation? Well, this is Sunday school material. I'm asking. Should we preach on these things on Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Or this is for Sunday school material discussion? Well, let's take a look. Let's really take a look, because I want you to know that after studying chapter 5, 6, and 7, I'm totally convinced that as you understand what he's saying, it applies to growing Christians. It applies to understanding the Scripture. It applies to truth that is very, 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 very important. You can't, over, can't, can't reject this, the truth that's coming. So let me begin. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's dealing with moral, moral poverty. Okay? It simply says that unless you deal with that, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Moral poverty is not able to bring your, your, your senses into balance and reason to that which is, a, which is sin in your life. And so, the moral characteristics of citizens of the kingdom of heaven are necessary, and it comes in the new birth. Jesus, when he came <clears throat> into John the Baptist to be baptized by him, was teaching in proxy this concept, that as I am baptized by water through John the Baptist, the baptism of the new birth is established. And then he separated that new birth from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at the second Beatitudes. It says, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. People who mourn because of personal sinfulness. What the Holy Spirit will do for those who properly evaluate their spiritual poverty. The Holy Spirit comforts. If you have been involved in, in your life with a sin that happened over you for all kinds of reasons, the Holy Spirit can comfort you, encourage you, love you, remove the tears. But before anything happens, you have to evaluate what happened and do accordingly. So this, 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 this is very important. 
Because one of the things that Jesus emphasizes is that there is therefore now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. But when there has been sin of such, accusations and condemnations will come in to destroy your life. I have to overcome my sin because God called me to preach and I have to overcome it because of the life of those that I'll be discipling for the rest of my life and I've been doing it and I will continue to do it. That's, that's, that's the attitude of a pastor, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher in terms of his, of his uh, moral poverty and in terms of his personal sinfulness. Look at the third. Blessed are the meek. Meek is opposite from self-righteousness. The first two Beatitudes guarantees meekness. For they shall inherit the earth. This speaks of the kingdom age. The meek will inherit the earth, the kingdom age, the kingdom of heaven. Will be brought down to earth when the saints will rule with Christ in the millennium. This is important. This is saying, when you have meekness within you, Meekness is the opposite of self-righteousness. You will inherit the earth. Number six, number, number one, one, two, three, number four. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Intense desire. A young lady from our ministry uh, I don't know anybody else who has been more dealing intense, intense hunger and thirst for the Word. And if you stay around that person, uh, you're going to see that uh, she writes verses of Scripture, one after the other. There are hundreds, hundred cards at any time around this person. And she studies them all day long. That's intense desire. After righteousness, God's righteousness is imputed by Christ upon faith in His finished work. For they shall be filled. Meaning, people who knock on the door continuously after Christ and insist continuously after Christ in prayer, in tongues, in, in, in submission, in humbleness, they will be fulfilled. Isn't that, that that's Jesus saying this. Isn't that wonderful? That uh, you can stay on your knees, but it, it will God will respond to your knees in your personal life. Okay, that's, that's five now. Is that right? One, two, three, four, five. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. To obtain mercy from God, you have to extend mercy to somebody else. It's impossible that you have. The mercy of God upon your life, but but it, it, you don't you don't extend mercy to anybody else. So notice that from the one, the poor in spirit, the moral poverty, the kingdom of heaven, mourning for personal sin and responding, being comforted. Look at uh, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, and God is going to fill you up. Suddenly it talks about being merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Notice that mercy didn't come in the beginning, but as, as, as your life is treated by the Holy Spirit, eventually by your insistence and your responsibility to the kingdom of God, 
you're going to be comforted. And then after being comforted, you're going to be receive mercy from the Lord. Isn't that what we want? We want mercy. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you need mercy from the Lord. How can you have mercy? Extend mercy to somebody else. You don't extend mercy to somebody else. You're not going to get mercy. That's what this says. Now verse 8. Notice there's an accent and a high degree of change in this Beatitudes. It begins with moral poverty. And now, and now it's moving toward the kingdom of heaven. You understand? It begins way down there and it's moving up like these mountains behind me. <coughs> it's a sight that, uh, that as you move toward the mountain, it goes higher. And this is the same thing as the progression of the Beatitudes. Number, number five, number six says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Well, that, that is a high up, up way out there attitude of a heart, of a human heart. Those who have received a new moral nature in regeneration. For they shall see God. They will see Him manifest Himself in one's life. They will see change in them. They will see encouragement in them. They will see forgiveness in them. They will see power as they minister to others. But notice that uh, you have to insist. You extended mercy. Notice, notice the progression of the Beatitudes toward pure, a pure heart. A pure heart. All right. It says on verse 9, So I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Now the seventh Beatitude. It's even deeper. It's even more complicated and it's even more truthful. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Pertain to peace with God which comes to salvation. And all who proclaim such are called peacemakers. For they shall be called children of God. Notice that it refers to peace. And peace upon others. You see, we live in a time, in a world right now where dissension, accusation, condemnation, it's all over the map. Churches fighting against churches. Preachers fighting against preachers. It's a, it's a messy world to where the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is in such a condemning, difficult situation to where there's no peace. The Democrats and the Republicans never come together. Line, line to both left and right. And what Jesus is teaching the disciples is this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. You adopted into the beloved because you bring peace everywhere you go. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So, let's go on to the blessed are those who are persecuted, okay, which is number, number eight. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why would the Lord... Bring that up after talking about being a peacemaker. It's because when you're a peacemaker, you are going to be accused, condemned, put down, harassed. You know, the more I sought God in my life, the more accusations I got. More persecution I received. More condemnation I received. If I tell you what I went through in the last 40 years, you wouldn't believe it. Primarily by the hands of preachers. Primarily preachers, men of God who are supposed to be men of God, or preachers or pastors. 
So what is he saying? He's saying to you that have suffered. Saying to you that have lost a lot of nights crying for the persecution became so severe. He said, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. Not just because, in other words, what is right. You do what's right. And you get, you get, you get accusation. You do it's right, and you're gonna be condemned. You do it's right, and the devil come at you to everything he's got, and shoot you down, and harass you, and put you down. Those who operate in the realm of self-righteousness will persecute those who trust in God's righteousness. That's what it says. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, in other words, if you've been persecuted and you uh, spoke about the righteousness of God and, and removed self-righteousness from your life, and you, you, you got heaven coming down to you, brother. You got heaven coming down from you. You got you've got a blessing coming down from you. God, Jesus, Jesus, sitting with the disciples in a mountain on, on north of the Lake of Galilee or south of the Lake of Galilee. He was simply saying this. That when you've been persecuted, if you stand firm, you're going to get to go to heaven. I'm talking about just on that one. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Why? Because He sees you dealing with, with righteousness of God and what is right, what is the right thing to do. Notice He says, for those of you who are, who are, are, are having grievous sins, uh, no, He's not talking about sin here. He's talking about being accused and being condemned and being persecuted. So, I'm saying to you, if you've been persecuted, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm going to take a cup of coffee here and celebrate this one. Woo! All right. Okay. I hope you're listening. Let's go to the ninth one. It deals with the persecution per se, but in a different way. It says, blessed are you, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manners of evil against you falsely for my sake. Only Jesus could say for my sake. For he is God. There is no offense to the cross. Galatians 5.11 For my name's sake. Blessed are you when men shall rival you and persecute you, and shall say all manners of evil against you falsely for my sake. Oh, I've been called charismatic, automatic, fanatic, crazy from the beginning of my ministry. You know, Rick is a little crazy. You know, that's, that's how I was introduced before revival. Meaning, they, did, they, did, they, did, they want to know that there's something inside of me that if I pray with you and lay hands on you, God can change your life completely. And so that makes me crazy. You understand? In other words, don't get involved with this preacher because he might mess you up completely. It's true. Why? Because I preach the Lord's righteousness. I, 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 I say that which the Lord says to me. And I read His Word and I empower His Word and speak in the name of Jesus. And that has cost me a lot of persecution. But because I've been faithful to the Lord, I have eternal life. Verse 12 then closes the Beatitudes and says, Rejoice! 
the result of all of this, being under all of this, understanding all these perspectives in the Beatitudes, he simply says, rejoice. And be exceedingly glad. In other words, rejoice. Be glad. Lift your hands. Praise the Lord. For great is your reward in heaven again. One more time. One more time. Twice Jesus says, if you've been persecuted, harassed, put down, there's a joy that God's going to put upon your life. You are going to be blessed of the Lord with eternal life. It says here, for great is your reward in heaven. I don't know what uh, what the reward will be there, but meaning it will not be necessary to come while on earth. For they persecuted the prophets which were before you. God's way will bring persecution severally so at times by both the world and the church. And I'm the one who tell you the church persecuted me. It's still persecuting me and put me down. But if I stay firm, stay put, those of you who support this ministry, don't forget RBM. Don't forget Rick Bonfin Ministries. Don't give up in supporting us financially because there's a lot of work that we're doing everywhere we go in the name of Jesus. And it might be offensive to some, but God is pleased with it. This is Rick Bonfim. Our address is uh, 1711 Meriwether Drive, Suite 104, Watkinsville, Georgia, 30677. Our telephone number is 706-353-1546. There's nothing to hide. I'm not running from anybody. I'm right here telling you that I'm a servant of the Lord, and I want to continue to preach and to minister Every and every opportunity is given to me. I'm not crazy. I'm not out of my mind. I am blessed of the Lord. And even though persecuted, harassed, and put down, I'm firm on my faith until the moment I die. And when death, and when it, when it comes into me in my sleep, I will rise at that moment and be with the Lord in heaven forever. To be absent from the body will be present with the Lord. God bless you. Correndo e olhando para trás 